There are people that are really, really, really good at baseball. And then there's Mike Trout. You know, he's hitting for power. He hasn't walked yet, but his... his Someday, someday I'll get a walk. (laughs) Two Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, one who faced live BP pitching and one who did not, uh, then uh, after the experiment, you could use them both in the lineup. Sure. And welcome to episode number 153 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we have a massive pain in the torso. Uh, I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by Joshua Housem. Josh, how goes it? Not too bad. How about you? Uh, well, it was a bit of a weird week for scheduling, so here we are on a weekend, you and I, chit-chatting. That doesn't happen very often. Nope, sure doesn't. <laughs> give, give us a, we, we, uh, we like to save the weekends for other things normally. Uh, we have... A lot more Blue Jay stuff than usual, though I don't suppose a lot of it is uh, is great in the results category. Um, but Bobachet versus Kershaw, that was a result. Uh, Wagusback continues to look good. Uh, Trent Thornton, he's kind of been up and down and up and down. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Vlad Jr., more up lately. Uh, what does it mean for his whole season for Vlad Jr., and, and where does he fit as a rookie this year? Uh, there's some other rookies, of course, who continue to get penciled in every day to the lineup. We'll talk about how they're doing. Ken Giles couldn't uh, couldn't answer the bell on the weekend, but not because he was injured. Um, Jordan Romano uh, is called up the Canadian once again. Uh, he gets to play uh, at home. We'll talk about that. And there's a couple pitchers coming back whose names you may have uh, let to fade from your memory, but that doesn't mean they're not rehabbing like mad. We have your question at the moment. Uh, maybe another one will drop in while we talk. Uh, and then we have a do-over and a gold star related to exactly the same thing, which is uh, something I don't think we've done before. That's not common. No. All right. So let's start with the big, I, for me, the highlight, Bo Bichette versus Clayton Kershaw. Now, Clayton Kershaw is not uh, the greatest pitcher in the league at the moment. However, he is still very, very, very good um, compared to a lot of his peers. It's funny when people talk about Kershaw, it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's over the hill. It's like he's not really Clayton Kershaw anymore. He's got a 2.71 <laughs> ERA. <laughs> and still striking out more than a batter per inning, still only walking two batters per nine. I mean, he's still really, really good. A lot of uh, pitchers would give their right arm uh, to be Clayton Kershaw, even if they're right-handed. That's... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like... He's really, really excellent, uh, even though the tools he's using to do that with are diminished from what maybe we would have expected in the past. Which means that Bobachet seeing him in his very first plate appearance and hitting a bomb off of him was nice. And then hitting another one off of him later was entirely unlikely. Yeah, actually, he was only the sixth player in history to have a multi-home run against, a multi-home run game against Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking up some stats. Adam Dunn was one of the few notable players who's owned Clayton Kershaw over over more than you know a handful of at bats. But I mean, generally, you line up anybody, and they have some pretty poor results against him. So it's it's you know small sample size, haha. But uh, I think uh, you know I think he he's certainly going to put a uh, that note in his Bobachets in his uh, his personal notebook of of guys I've had good success against. Um, Blue Jays kind of, you know, they they hung 
tough against Kershaw, I guess, but that whole series in LA just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I mean, some of the problems in this roster were a little exposed. Obviously, some of the depth in the bullpen and just some of the inconsistencies of some of the players on this offense. But obviously, you know, Bichette was great, and Vlad was two for two with two walks in that game. And, you know, so it was still exciting to see, even though they got clearly outclassed by a much better, more deep team <laughs> deeper team yeah and i mean this isn't a team that's struggling for the wild card the dodgers are clearly one of baseball's very best so if if you're if you were you know expecting um the blue jays to get swept by anybody sort of the dodgers the yankees that that's you know it, it's kind of like well if it's gonna happen at least it makes sense to happen here not getting swept by you know the orioles or you know getting blown up by the mets on three straight nights or something yeah, and it's also not like they got blown out by the Dodgers either. I mean, they got walked off twice. In one of them, they had a two-run lead, I believe it was, and then it got blown by Derek Law because uh, we'll get to why. But, you know, and again, they had a, a game-tying home run against Rowdy Tellez against Kenley Jansen, which apparently a lot of teams are doing lately. But still, Rowdy Tellez took him deep. So it was still, they were fighting. They just couldn't fight enough. Yeah, pulling themselves over that over the finish line um, just it didn't happen. Um, you know, the, the, what was it, 19 to 4 game, notwithstanding. Uh, yeah. That well, was... <laughs> so Wilmer Font was the opener, right, for the game following the 19 4 loss? That sounds correct, yes. He got more outs than any pitcher in the 19 4 loss. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a bad night all around. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, he got like six outs. Nobody got more than five in the previous night. Um, all right, let's talk about someone who who did have a better night, Jacob Wagesback. And it was sixteen to three. Nineteen to four was their win against the Rangers last week. Oh, my bad. Sorry, only sixteen. <laughs> I, yeah, I apologize to the Blue Jays pitching staff for airing adding three runs for no good reason. So mm. yeah, Jacob Wagesback. We just like saying Wagesback, but also. We, do we like seeing him start now? Are we are, are we fully in that camp? Well, I, I think it's hard to say no to that at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, we mentioned how that one game, they got just destroyed. That was Reed Foley, I believe, came in as the secondary pitcher, the bulk pitcher in that game. Oh, no, no, it was Trent Thornton started that one. But, uh... No, I was right the first time. Sorry about that. I'm a little, I'm a little off today. A little off today. This is the week. This is weekend recording. And I tried to open a box score and I opened up the wrong game. But uh, Wagesback pitched the third game of that series, the one that Derek Law blew, and he you know went seven innings and shut the Dodgers out. Yeah, no small feat. Absolutely. No, it, I mean it's definitely not. And he just continues to be solid in the starting rotation, which is you know as we mentioned, I think the last time we talked about it, it's a complete surprise to us. You know, if you look at his recent string of outings, in his last one, two, three, four, five, six starts, six starts, he has pitched at least five innings in all six and given up no more than three runs. And in four of them, two or fewer. The only time he hasn't gone more than five innings in that stretch is when he came in as, you know, after an opener. So uh, he's been excellent. And I think he's definitely earning consideration for a spot on the team next year. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at guys to fill the mid to back of your rotation, a guy who can give you, um, you know, those five innings and and 
I mean, it's not like he's never going to get blown out. But a guy who's not going to get blown out, even if he gives up a run or two, um, is kind of what you need. Uh, because they're, you know, you can't fill in rotation with aces. There just aren't that many guys. So if he, if he yeah. continues to be consistent, is, is he kind of like this year's Ryan Barucki? I don't really see them as that comparable. Because Barucki, I mean, he was a guy that was supposed to be good all the way up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and guy that people were really excited to see when he arrived and, and he did very well and then he fell apart. But why well, I guess back, I mean, his numbers in the minors were terrible. His year was over five. I mean, yeah, ERA is not a great indicator, but none of his numbers suggested a guy who was going to succeed in the big leagues, let alone thrive the way he's doing right now. So sometimes uh, you, you know, somebody blossoms or, you know, figures something out. Not again, he's not like he's shutting everybody out every night, but he figured out enough to get, you know, be consistent. And uh, yeah, I think you do put him in, in a strong consideration if he continues for, for making the team um, next year in, a, in an important role. Yeah. The guy I'm not sure about is Trent Thornton, who when he's on, as he said himself, looks great. And then he has some nights where he's just not on. I believe that as we were recording this that last night in Seattle, um, not a night where he was on. Yeah, that's the box score I accidentally clicked on when I was <laughs> trying to talk about Reed Foley. And I was like, wait, Trent Thornton started. And then I saw the rest of the box score. And then that was the Seattle series. Um, so the last time we recorded, we talked about Trent Thornton and how he'd pitched against the Yankees. And I noted that he was throwing a bunch of cutters. And it was the first time all season, actually, that he'd thrown more cutters than over 30% cutters. He actually had still thrown more four-seamers. But he hasn't done that since. He's gone back down, still you know, using it liberally, but not at that same level, where he's now throwing over 50% four-seamers. So I'm wondering what will happen and if they might try to do that again, because it clearly worked against a great offense in New York. Yeah, I mean, but they they haven't spoken to that specific strategy. Maybe there was something about New York's lineup that made them think they were susceptible to that pitch more so. Obviously, they have all these conversations. Uh, but the, the old, well, if it worked once, maybe we should try it again, is also a factor. Yeah, and then he did face the Mariners twice in his last two starts, so it's possible that it was the opposite, where it's like the Mariners hit cutters well. I mean, it, obviously, numbers like that are hard to make much of and he was decent the first time against the Mariners he gave up three runs in six which is certainly serviceable so it's really hard to know what to make of him because as you said when he's on he's great and when he's not he's not <laughs> well yeah kind of the the opposite of Wagusback, where you know once think once the the wheels have come off there's there's no regaining control um yeah that and that's a that's a big problem you need to know that he, you're going to get innings out of him even if things don't don't go great in one particular inning. Yeah. And and that's a really good point to make. I mean, you look at his innings pitched log since the start of July, he has five starts where he didn't make it out of the fourth. And that's just not something you can accept from a starting pitcher in the major leagues. Yeah, exactly. Cause the, the way bullpens are stretched out pretty thin as it is, even though they're larger than ever, by the time you do the opener strategy and you everybody's a one inning guy or yeah, it just everything's orchestrated in such a way that you don't you you can't have a, a three inning guy in whatever your bulk pitcher slot is as I guess we're calling it now. 
what you're calling it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that that's what just the people started referring to as in Tampa. It's like they had the opener and then the bulk starter or the bulk pitcher. Um, that sounds like a discount pitcher, but that's it's not fair to them. Uh, it almost is what it is, though, right? I mean, yeah. he's, he's not quite a starter, but he's pretty close. <laughs> well, okay. Let's talk about the player that we try and stop and talk about every podcast, which is Vlad Guerrero Jr. What? Why? It's not like Why? this guy's popular or anything like that. No. The hot, hot takes that y'all want is uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, his last week, just a week, 18% walk, 18% strikeout rate, and his line 462, 563, 692. Is that good? <laughs> I mean... His overall season line is up to a 281 batting average with a 354 on base and a 474 slugging. That's really quite good for anybody. And he's 20. And that that includes, you know, his start of the season where, what was it, through his first, I think it was his first 15 or 16 games, his OPS was 630 or something. And, you know, here he is at this level. So, He's just been mashing for really quite a long time. I mean, if you take smaller samples than the full season, but larger than your last week, since the beginning of August, he's hitting 368 with a 427 on base and a 662 slugging. Since the beginning of July, 321, 394, 545. I mean, he's been really, really good for more than he has been not good. Yeah, if you're getting on base at at a nearly 40% clip, uh, and again, he's he's continues to not strike out, even though he hits for power, uh, in the historical sense of everybody's striking out all the time now, he is quite the outlier. Yeah, I mean, he he's striking out at, like, Eric Sogard levels, and Eric Sogard well, was <laughs> like a powerless slap hitter. So this is why when he was coming up, people were throwing 80-grade hit tools on him. You don't throw 80 grades around lightly. I don't think there's anybody else that had that. In the la- I think Ben Revere was the last one who got an 80-hit tool. And Not the you know, same like, kind of hitting. <laughs> no, no, but, but the hit yeah. tool is just strictly your ability to hit for batting average, right? Yeah, it's not power. And make... And make contact. And then Ben Revere's power tool was 20. (laughs) But, yeah, so that's why we're getting these Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, Manny Ramirez comps thrown around when he came up. And, again, like, those are really, really lofty guys to live up to. Well, we think you're one of the best right-hand hitters ever. But the the talent is clearly there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that gradual, I mean, it takes a long time to pull up a low OPS with, you know, an average performance or even just an above average performance. So he has another, what, six weeks in the season. Um, if he keeps sort of, you know, at least steady at this or, or maybe improves a little bit because he's going to be against some uh, weaker arms in September, likely, uh, maybe he does look like the best rookie in the American League. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think that's still a long shot, especially because of what Jordan Alvarez is doing, where he's putting up Bobachet like numbers, but with more power. And I feel like Bobachet has a lot of power. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, that says a lot about what Alvarez is doing. So, 
I still think it's an extreme long shot that Vlad Guerrero will win the MV, the rookie of the year. But as you mentioned, he's putting himself back in the conversation. Yeah, which I think at the All-Star break, everyone was like, well, I guess maybe it didn't didn't work out with the timing or whatever else that uh, or or his age or whichever that that Bo, uh, that Vlad's just not going to not going to get to that top tier player. But since then he's he's played like a top tier player. Oh yeah. So it's pretty fun to watch. It's funny cuz you know Bichette is still the one grabbing all the headlines. So when Vlad Vlad is doing what he is doing, it's still sort of under the radar, which is crazy to think that Vlad Guerrero Jr. could somehow be under the radar, but he really is because Bichette's having this stupid start to his career. Yeah, and I mean it is a historic start, but it does have some some certainly a lot more red flags than than Vlad's overall line hat. I mean, Bo's walking at a six percent rate, striking out at twenty four percent. That means he's walking nominally more than Randall Grichuk and striking out more than he is. It's just he well. His batting average on balls in play, like Vlad's for the last 30 days, is like 400. So when he hits the ball, it goes where nobody catches it. And that's... Yeah, just a... Sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to... I thought you were done. I apologize. No. But just a fun little Bichette thing. He actually ha- has multiple hits in a game more often than he has fewer than two hits in a game. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nuts. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of a of, uh, little bit of luck, <laughs> maybe a lot of luck, uh, that's incredible. But obviously, you're, you've got to be hitting the ball pretty hard um, and not, you know, popping it up on the infield ever to get that kind of result. Yep. S- still, here's that was uh, you saw that tweet where um, who was talking about Mike Trout and Bo Bichette's OPS for the season? I don't know or really care that much. Anyway, so uh, you think the, the whole thing was oh, Mike Trout, or oh, Bobichet has had a heck of a start. And uh, you would think that keeping this up for the rest of his career would be crazy, except that Mike Trout's OPS for the whole season is higher than Bobichet's. So literally, Mike Trout has been having a Bobichet year the whole time. Yeah. Not, not bad. Um, I mean, there's Mike, Mike Trout is Mike Trout, right? Like, <laughs> there are people that are really, really good at baseball. There are people that are really, really, really good at baseball. And then there's Mike Trout. Yeah. It, it, it's when, when I find a Mike, Mike Trout fact, and I've, I've actually got a lot more, but I know this is not a Mike Trout podcast, I, I am never not amazed at how good he's been since pretty much day one for how long. So for all of you who don't think Mike Trout is great, well, I don't know what to tell you. You're mistaken. <laughs> uh, anyone else other than Bo Bichette who we'd like to talk about? Yeah, so I think it is worth looking a bit more at some of these other rookies. Oh, by the way, so the, just the tweet you mentioned was Ben Ennis. I, I just found it, even though I said I didn't care. But I also, it was kind of a straw man argument he was making because he was saying, can't imagine a baseball player having a better stretch than Trout, than Bichette. Nobody was thinking that. People have better stretches than this all the time. But, uh, yeah, so Bichette, Vlad, obviously getting all the headlines. Bichette through his hitting and lack of base running. 
and Vlad because he's Vlad. But some of these other young guys are doing very well, and some of them are not. And I kind of want to highlight the not first so we can at least end on the better note. All right. Uh, Kevin Biggio is not hitting. Uh, he We talked about how he had shown some skills and shown his, his control of the strike zone is still immaculate. But he just does not make enough contact right now to look like a guy who is a core part of a future. I mean, since the beginning of July, just because it's an arbitrary endpoint, but it's easy to sort by and look at, he's hitting 194 with a 309 on base and a 310 slugging and striking out 29.8% of the time. You just can't succeed with a guy doing that in your lineup or or in the Jays case two or three guys doing that. <laughs> hey, uh he he does have uh he does not have the highest uh sorry, wh- who has the highest strikeout percentage in, since since that July 1st date? Is Teoscar ahead of him still? Yeah, Teoscar has a 32.7%. The difference is that Teoscar Hernandez when he doesn't strike out has been doing damage. Right, he's another guy yep. that I was going to mention because in that time frame he's hitting 260 with a 588 slugging and a 340 on base, which is you know a wOBA of 382 and therefore excellent. Yeah, that 588 slugging is, says a lot about what happens when Teoscar Hernandez makes contact. Yeah, we actually got a question about this, which so we're going to get into this hard contact stuff, and when we get to that to that uh, part of the podcast, but I do think that's really important. I think that it's something that matters a bit with a guy like Kevin Biggio who doesn't hit the ball that hard but he hits it with a lot of loft so he still gets some home runs but it's really hurting him when the ball doesn't leave the park indeed uh do you have guy number two on your not so hot performances list well I mean the the, the guy number two I sort of alluded to him but uh actually no I guess I didn't I, I was going to say it, but like well Rowdy Tellez has been, he hit the home run off Kershaw, mm-hmm. but you know, the, this, the signs of him being the first baseman going forward, I mean, even since coming back, it's not really looking like this is what he is. I'm not sure if you agree or disagree, but you know, he's got three hits since coming back and he struck out four times. I mean, then he hasn't walked. So, I apologize, he walked once. But I mean, it's just the same problem he's had the whole time where he's got power, but not enough contact to survive. Exactly what we just said about Kevin Biggio. Yeah, I, I don't think he's, you know, the first baseman of the future either because it's it's almost like would the Blue Jays rather carry a guy who can play first and third and and give them similar production, right? And more flexibility. Because Rowdy is, is, at the moment, is a... I guess a first baseman, but I mean, he's sort of a glorified DH and he's not aging. No, he's not. And you know, this is what this is for, right? That's why they essentially shuffled off, shuffled out some of these guys like Galvis and Sogard was to make room for Bichette, but Galvis now they don't have to put Vigio at DH so they can play tell us and see, okay, these changes, maybe he's going to be something. And if he's not, we have to address that in the off season because smoke isn't hitting either. Yeah, which is weird. It's just kind of like Smoke just sort of... I mean, again, his his mastery of the strike zone has remained unchanged, which was not something he had when, when he came over here. Um, but his, his ability to really, you know, get results when he swings the bat is just... It's really faded. 
mm-hmm. to the point of like league average. And we, we go, you go back to and go, well, if you're going to pay somebody to be league average, the first baseman DH as your only options might not be where you want to spend that money. Nope. All right. So give me, give me some good news, baby. Danny Jansen. Yeah. Jansen's been kind of up and down, but over the last, again, since that same September or July 1st timeline, his WOBA is 336. And, you know, that doesn't sound tremendous because it isn't, but it's still quite good. And for a catcher, it is tremendous, especially one who's been the defensive surprise that Jansen has been. Yeah. And I, I think now if you ask me the same question about about Jansen as you did Tellez, I think I, there's no question the Blue Jays are, are not going to go shopping for a catcher in the offseason. No, and even Reese McGuire's not doing too bad. I mean, he's only got 42 plate appearances, but, you know, he's hitting for power. He hasn't walked yet, but his... You know, his <laughs> well, someday, sl- someday I'll yeah. get a walk. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, at least he's doing one thing, right? This is the thing with Biggio. Like he's walking, but when he's making contact, he wasn't doing anything, whereas Reese McGuire is at least hitting for power. So he still has a Woba of 302, which is good enough. Again, we're talking about backup catcher, right? Yeah, especially with his defense, right? Same thing with, with Jansen. We're talking about elite defensive catcher putting up acceptable offense. Yeah, and, and you can go through just about any team in the league, and there is no good backup catcher. Who can yeah. do everything? Because that guy would get moved to a team where he could be the first straight catcher. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, so I mean, there, there, there's some of we should call this like the babysitting section because we're looking at the kids. But there, there's signs of very good things here and signs of holes that need to be filled, which I think is the whole point of this season. Yeah. And if they don't fill holes in the offseason, it's going to be like, well, that, what the heck was the point of this season? Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So Ken Giles was unable to pitch on the weekend. And up until now, that's been because Ken Giles has been injured. But not this time. This time it was happier news. He went on the paternity list. Yeah, it's funny. So I didn't see the note that he'd gone on the paternity list at first. Oh, no. And, and then I was like, <laughs> why is Derek Law pitching in a safe situation? Is he hurt still? Is it still bothering him? No, he's just actually got really good news. He's having a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you had an epiphany no you had a paradigm shift that's what you had you you had a piece of information filled in and then your whole view on the thing changed sure did uh, i mean he's still not pitching often no and a part part of that was the jays performance over that time period but you know he pitched august 7th 13th 16th 21st so we're not really learning anything about his health but at least he hasn't been hurt again so uh, in Giles' place, Jordan Romano got the call, which is kind of cool because Jordan Romano is uh, Canadian and from uh, Western Canada, and he gets to play in Seattle, which I saw just a, a brief interview piece with him. He was part of that, you know, Blue Jays invade Seattle crowd when when he was a fan. Yeah, and he's from Toronto. He just, Sorry. Come on. For Markham. But he, he, he did go out there. <laughs> Don't, don't disrespect my city, man. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Romano's interesting. I mean, he was up briefly, and he struck with 11 batters and five and a third, but, you know, gave up some home runs that kind of skewed his numbers. He's, you know, the power arm. He, he got, I think he was got up to 98 when he was here before, which was very surprising. 
and he gets strikeouts. So they're going to keep him up. It sounds like through the end of the year, even after Giles is back. That's what uh, Charlie Montoya was saying. They want to get a good long look and see if he's a part of their bullpen going forward. Which is cool. It's always nice to see somebody get an opportunity, uh, even if they may not be. You know, we've seen it a bunch of times. It might not be perfect in the minors, but if they're healthy and ready to go, they get some innings up or they get some at bats up here. And uh, as you just said, that's the point of this season. So. All the more nice that it's a Canadian kid, although I personally don't actually need Canadians to be on Canada's team. I'm okay with that. No, it doesn't matter. I don't need them to throw no-hitters against Canada's team, though. That was a little painful. What are you going to pretend that didn't happen? <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about or what team he currently <laughs> plays for. Just... <laughs> you're drawing a blank on that one, huh? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'll let you draw a blank. Uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you remember Clay Buckholes could play, be playing for this team right now if, if he wasn't hurt? I didn't. But it turns but, out yes, that's still true, yeah. Yeah, he's starting. Oh, whoa. Time flies, man. So there you go, Clay Buckholes. Is he, uh, he going to be excellent this time, Josh? No, probably not. <laughs> but he's a starting pitcher. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Those are there's some value up. in that when we're talking about the Blue Jays because yeah, so Font is opening today, and then Buckles is starting. We're again recording this Saturday. Buckles is starting Sunday, so that'll be interesting. Go Clay, go! Yeah. And then uh, the other guy, of course, that we uh, shouldn't should not ignore is Ryan Tapera. Yeah, I did not think Ryan Tapera was coming back this year. I thought he was definitely done for the season, but he just started a rehab assignment. That's promising. Yeah, I mean, it means he's going to be pitching in games. And as a reliever, you don't really need that many. So there's a good chance that he'll be back when I mean, when rosters expand, is my assumption. But, you know, he's been not bad. So it's a guy that you kind of forget about and you stop counting on. That's kind of the way it goes with some injuries, especially to relief pitchers. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it, it, he was a weapon in the last couple of years. So it, it's nice to, you know, get a chance to look at him again. Yeah, especially uh, you you never know how long before the injury uh, maybe he was being affected by something. And, and you know, uh, this is a chance to sort of press reset. And maybe he's as good as he was, you know, two years ago. Um, but we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, he's really good in 2018 and 2017. Just the beginning of this season, he was terrible. But he had come off an injury and then re-injured. So he probably was just never healthy. Exactly. All right, we're going to uh, take a brief break, and then we're going to come back with some questions, uh, or possibly... Is, is it three. more than one? Three. We got to three. All right, we're going to come back with three questions from you lovely folks out there in listener land. Yes. Yes, a uh, brief musical interlude, and you and me back at the desk. The imaginary virtual desk. Uh, we, of course, move on to question time. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? So, our first question on a Saturday afternoon from 8 going on 9. You can probably explain that to me. 
at Juco James, he says, do you think that the Jays' front office's focus on position players who have high exit velocities could be a competitive advantage if MLB changes the baseball back to, quote, normal, unquote? MLB has done this before, 1987 being the most recent example. Uh, just quickly, I would argue that, like, 2016 would be the most recent, or 2017 would be the most recent example. <laughs> I don't know if they really changed the ball back then, but it's just... Yeah, I, I I agree though. There's definitely evidence that there were differences, but to to answer the question, do I think it could be a competitive advantage? Yeah, absolutely, I do. I mean, other teams are doing this too, so I guess it's not so much an advantage. But I do think it's really important. I mean, when we we got a question, I think it was last time where people that would be most affected by the ball going back, and we listed a couple guys. I think Kevin Vigio was one of them. But earlier on, you mentioned Teoscar Hernandez hitting the ball really hard. Guys like him, Randall Grichuk, Bo, Vlad, they crush the ball. And their home runs are going to be home runs regardless. Yeah. So, yeah, so like if they switch the ball back, those guys are still going to be doing well. And all of a sudden, it'll be even better than the league as opposed to right now where it's somehow not standout. The fact that we are having this conversation, though, indicates the serious, serious problems with having a question mark factor in league equipment yeah absolutely i mean it's unintended consequences and it's you cannot plan for it no it's, it's like them saying so uh we might go to aluminum bats next year <laughs> yeah or you know if you're trying to compete in the atlantic league and all of a sudden you can steal first base it's, i mean it's it's not as drastic <laughs> as that rule change was which was the dumbest thing ever by the way but it's the same concept. It was like all of a sudden you're playing under a different set of circumstances than the one with which you built your team. Yeah. And you don't find out until you actually hit the baseball, which is, you know, how the heck else do you test for it until you get baseballs? Just brutal. Uh, yeah. T Ronto Raptors Leafs Jays, which is all correct as far as I can tell. Uh, at Raps Leafs Jays asks, what impact, if any, have the addition of two harder throwing live BP pitchers had on the Blue Jays? And we haven't really talked about this story. Uh, two, are Pompey, Alfred, and Travis unprotected in the next Rule 5 draft? So I'll answer the second part, and then you can address that first part. Um, so Dalton Pompey will be a minor league free agent. And Alfred and Travis are actually on the 40-man... Well, Travis is on, technically not, because he's on the 60-day IL, but he'll be activated from it. So they'll be active players, so they are not Rule 5 eligible. But the, what, the issue is that they'll be out of options... Well, actually, Alfred will. Travis probably won't be, actually, because he got injured. But out of options just means they can't be sent down without going through waivers. So it's not quite the same thing. All right. So the, the two pitchers that we were talking about are uh, Zach Stewart. You remember Zach Stewart? Yep. Who was, you know, the, the uh, throw uh, <laughs> for whom the Edwin Encarnacion was a... Uh, no, it was a... I have it here as the Scott Rowland... Edwin Encarnacion trade. Yeah, that. so he was the key piece in that trade as well. Zach Stewart was the guy they wanted. Yeah. And then Zach Stewart was the key piece going to the White Sox to get Edwin Jackson, which got the Jays' Colby Rasmus. So he was traded twice as key pieces and ended up never doing anything. <laughs> and um, the other guy is lefty Matt Tracy. Uh, so the idea is to have competitive-type batting practice. Um, because teams, some teams, uh, the Cubs among them, have sort of given up on the whole idea of just regular batting practice as kind of just a, a pointless 
exercise um, to hit baseballs all over the place at tossed in there at at batting practice 55 mile an hour speed. I don't know if you can tell right away whether or not that's helping hitters or not um, to get reps with quote unquote live pitchers. Yeah, it's impossible to answer that question. I mean, we have guys who are hitting great and guys who are struggling. So I don't, I don't know how you form a baseline. Noise. Like you just don't have a control group. No, you don't. What uh, we need basically, to do. you would need players who who were really struggling, started to do it and found some change in their swing or some change in their mechanics that was causing problems, I think is the only thing you could say. But no, we just we, we can't possibly assess the impact of that. I think you've got the wrong approach, though. I think the first approach is this. This would be a justified cloning of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, because if you had two Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, one who faced live BP pitching and one who did not, uh, then uh, after the experiment, you could use them both in the lineup. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, I'm not even going to try, Greg. You just, you uh, have your clone of Vladimir Gross Jr. You go home. <laughs> <laughs> I think with the money it would take to clone Vlad, you could probably sign some really good free agents and not have to worry about this. Uh, it's all, yeah, it's just a funding problem, really. I mean, if you get somebody else to pay for it, I would still clone him. Um, Aaron Poleski. Is there actually hope for the pitching staff next year? Pearson, Kay, Thornton, Wagusback. Who would be the veteran Sabathia type? And that, I can't believe he used that name. Uh, that could be added as a mentor. Or will they just go out and get Zach Wheeler like Josh wants? <laughs> I certainly hope they go out and get Zach Wheeler like I want. Otherwise, it'd be a really weird thing to say. I hope they don't do what I want. Um, well, the veteran is Shoemaker, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going to be back his arbitration salary won't be high because he's been injured all year Mm -hmm. and he was really good so there's no reason not to give him a shot to come back as for hope um i think it's more hope if they get a zach wheeler type to go with that group if you have a, a rotation that goes wheeler shoemaker fine number two pearson k wagas back it's not good (laughs) <laughs> but it's not dreadful potentially right there's upside with pearson k wagus back yep and then obviously wheeler is good and shoemaker can be good so at least there's something to hope for that they can at least be like a league average rotation and that the offense performs the way it performed for the entire month of july we're really hanging our hat on a lot of things um there in that statement but well, but that's the way it's, yeah. it's going to be, right? Next year is going to be a you hope you you if you go get a good pitcher, then you hope that the young guys take another step forward on the mound, and if they don't, then you struggle for another year and go fill in again the following year. <sighs> we can just, we can stick with it, right? We can. We've been around since however long we've been around. We're we're, we're still here. <laughs> yeah, but like say say they did this, right? Say they go and sign Zach Wheeler or Hyunjin Ryu, which I don't think they're going to do, but whatever, just for the hypothetical. And they go and they have this rotation of Wheeler, Shoemaker, guys that you can, you know, Wheeler you can expect to be good, Shoemaker to be decent, Pearson who could be, you know, great, right? Mm-hmm. K who, K and Wagusback who should be solid, and with potential for more, that's acceptable. I mean, like, if you have this offense that they have now and they get an actual first baseman, then you can at least hope to be 
relevant as opposed to what has been this year, which is just like playing out the string since the beginning of the season. I think you, uh, the one thing you haven't addressed there is that depth in the rotation. We, we, we keep going over the first five names, but if, if names six and seven are of the caliber that names five and six have been this year, uh, it's still like the, the, the likelihood of those guys not seeing starts is really, really low. The Blue Jays haven't had a quote unquote healthy rotation for ages. No, they haven't. And, and that's why I expect you're going to see a couple other guys of the Clayton Richard, Clay Buckles variety at the start of the season. And these other guys like Pearson and Kay will start in the minors, right? Yeah. So that you have this depth built in. And, you know, TJ Zork, I just called him Zork, but Zoic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really off my game today. I'm really sorry, listeners. I've, I've been not good today. But, uh, you know, guys like Zoic and and other guys popping up, right? So I think that there's going to be slightly better depth. But again, it's about hoping some of those guys take the steps that you want them to take. It's not like this year where there was no chance the rotation was going to be good once anybody got hurt. Right. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. So uh, that concludes the questions portion of our program. It does. Which means that I, I believe we get to uh, talk about uh, a do-over, our favorite thing in the world. Oh my god, did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a f***ing do-over? We believe in second chances. Yes, a second chance in the uniform design department is what we're about to hand out. Players weekend, man. <laughs> what the heck is this? Like, last year's player weekend jerseys looked really bad for the most part but at least they were interesting not just black and white like last year's jerseys to me and i didn't take a great look at every teams but to me they looked kind of like when your little league team has a sponsor and the sponsor has colors and you have to somehow incorporate those onto your pre-existing uniform so it everything just kind of stands out really oddly um in terms of fonts and things which, I mean, that's kind of like Players Weekend is kind of going back to when you were kids. Which apparently is monochromatic now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they tried to go with the, you know, the, the whole saying, it's like it's the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back. They just tried to make it so we couldn't read either of them. It's the Players Weekend. It is the name on the back. <laughs> not this weekend, it wasn't. <laughs> you couldn't read it it's like is that guy wearing just a blank jersey i can't tell because it's all white unless he's a pitcher where he's got a black hat <laughs> i don't know uh yeah we threw back so far we eliminated color that's what happened <laughs> yeah going to like to a quainter time when tvs didn't show color and you couldn't tell the difference but like they could have at least you know done them with like them in monochromatic but like or rather grayscale, so like the lettering is in black when the rest of the jersey's in white, so you can read it. Yeah, because the whole point of these is to have some fun, and if you can't have fun 50 feet away, even if you're in the stadium because you can't quite make it out, I'm not sure uh, what happens. But So I, I think Joey Votto had the perfect name on the back of his jersey saying who, because no one knew who anyone was with these <laughs> nicknames because you couldn't read them. Um, so Joey Votto did have my early candidate for okay what's the do-over first of all 
I just said it. Just like, you know, make yeah. it so it can be read at least. Okay. The fun is in the player nicknames. At least let us read them. They get a try next year, again, to redesign everything. So I, I'm confident they're going to take their do-over in exactly one year from now. Um, so Joey Votto was my strong candidate as being who on first for my very first, uh, you know, quality uh, Players Weekend jersey. However, however, I have a gold star to hand out. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. So I have a thing with name pronunciation. First of all, I ruthlessly mispronounce people's names, and you know that, and constantly correct me. <laughs> yep. Uh, second of it's all, part I, of our charm. Yeah, I have a difficult-to-pronounce name as to how it's spelled. So my entire life, I have, I have dealt with uh, the awkward, no, that's not quite how you say that conversation with, like, must be 90% of the people I've met who have had to say my last name. So there is a relief pitcher who, if you were to look at his name, would look like Mark Melancon. Would, or, yeah, Melancon. Would you not agree? Yeah, that is how it looks like it's spelled. Looks like that. That's not how you say it. Of course not. That's why we're having this discussion. So he's decided for Players Weekend, and I'm sure he had to ask someone special to have the phonetic pronunciation of his name... <laughs> With the little language marks printed on the back of his jersey. So, Mark Melanson, kudos to you and a gold star, sir, for uh, owning the difficult-to-pronounce uh, nature of your name. By the way, it says a lot about the difficulty that Mark Melanson's had with this, that he was, like, one of the best relievers in baseball for four or five years. <laughs> Got a $50 million contract, and people still didn't know how to say his name correctly. <laughs> you, could, uh, you could just see him at, like, hotels and stuff. It's Melanson. <laughs> he's like he's one of those guys that just puts a fake name in for his hotel registration because he knows they're not going to say it right no matter what it is, so they may as well just be completely wrong. Yeah, he's not trying to hide anything. He just wants, yeah. he wants to know. He wants to hear what he put in. Um, so, yeah. yes. Uh, one gold star. If you want to come by the podcast and claim it, we, we certainly would love to have you, sir. Um, and I'll pronounce your name any way you like. <sighs> All right. That brings us to the end of our podcast, except uh, to mention that we are now on the Big Heads Podcast Network at what's the Twitter handle again? I've lost it. Big Head Media. At Big Head Media. Please uh, subscribe over there or, or follow them on Twitter and you will get notifications of whenever one of our new podcasts comes out. Also, uh, I'm going to give you a shot at a final thought. Do you have one? I kind of have two. Just The first one is a quick follow-up to what we were just talking about. A little mini do-over to me saying that Wilmer Font should go with like Ariel New or Courier. He should be going with Impact. Like, <laughs> how can you not do that? Especially with how well he's pitching. But my actual final thought is a congrats to friend of the podcast, TJ, in quotations, Zork, Zoik. I'm so sorry, TJ, for saying your name Zork. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> hey, three no-hitter. Yeah. Nine innings. You know, none of the, not one of those cheater doubleheader no-hitters in the minors either. No, a, a, a full triple-A no-hitter. So that's really cool. I mean, it's he's not having the greatest season. He has the lowest strikeout rate of all pitchers that are qualified in the International League. But he threw a no-no, and that's awesome. And he gets to remember that forever. 
Uh, my my thought is about we we talked a lot about Bobochet off the top and versus Clayton Kershaw, but I I held back on the one one fact. So in the you might want to quit while you're ahead category, Bobochet has the highest OPS of all time of any batter who has ever faced Clayton Kershaw <laughs> <laughs> at thirty three hundred. <laughs> so if he if he wants to sit the next time Kershaw is starting, I a hundred percent understand why. If I'm the answer, he'll probably be able to keep that for a long time because I don't think they're going to play the Dodgers again anytime soon. Exactly. So he might even get the chance to quit while he's ahead, so to speak. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> All right. So this has been uh, episode number 154 of the Artificials Turf Wars podcast. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and we will talk at you next week. <laughs>